Thank you very much for joining. Super happy to have John and Letitia here for our first Brain Tech Club webinar focused on brain health and uh, hacking health and productivity and peak performance. So thank you very much to John and Letitia for, Letitia for joining us to speak about hacking sleep and stress. And well, thanks also to, to Nikki Steinberg, who's uh, shown and uh, for putting this whole thing together. And um, over to you, John and Letitia. Thank you. Thank you. So first, let me introduce myself. This based in Barcelona. The focus of my work is mainly on cancer research, but I'm particularly interested in the physical health and mental well-being of professionals and how burnout affects people's life. In the past, I participated in, uh, in research investigating burnout among medics. So I have been working with Jonathan over a period of time to develop a practice that manages burnout. And one of the recurrent themes that we have been facing is how sleeping is affecting our life, particularly during the COVID-19 lockdown. So we look forward to sharing these thoughts with you today. So now let me introduce Jonathan, who will tell us more about himself. Thanks, Letitia. Hi, everyone. My name is Jonathan Lippich. I'm a professional certified coach and psychologist based in London. I've been working in the field of stress for over a decade now. And I've teamed up with uh, Letitia because we recognise the importance of an integrated approach to burnout and stress, uh, which deals with both the physical and psychological components at the same time. And that's why we created the practice, the GAB. Um, so GAB stands for Guardians Against Burnout. And our plan is to reduce the levels of anxiety, stress and burnout we find in our clients. And we found that essentially there is both a physical and a psychological component to things. And that's why we created an integrated program. And for over a year, we've developed a diagnostic assessment to level, manage and measure the level and severity of your burnout. We use remote medical analytics and psychological analytics to track your progress. We create tailored uh, programs. We tend to specialize in the corporate sector in particular. One of the things we found in particular, particularly with the COVID-19 crisis, is that there's a lot more stress in our lives, as everyone's just been chatting about just before we started. And we wanted to share some of our top tips and strategies and hacks to show you not only how to manage stress more effectively, but to ensure a better night's sleep. So how does stress work? Well, unfortunately, like the pandemic, you can't avoid it. Stress is everywhere. And COVID-19 has certainly led to more uncertainty over our future and it's impacting on daily lives, creating increasing pressures on our physical and cognitive resources. So we juggle business, finance, childcare, food shop and everything else in between. So the challenge comes when we run out of physical and cognitive resources, because when we do that, we enter that red line you can see before you, the burnout. When you enter burnout, uh, you run the risk of impacting on your physical health and mental well-being. So having a better understanding about how stress operates and builds enables us to get a better way of managing it and reacting in more helpful ways. So the first thing to note about stress is it's accumulative. It builds over time. And I'd like to use this kind of visual to help you see how that works. Um, Think of stress as a bit like a gauge similar to an oil dipstick in your car. You need oil to make the car work, and without enough oil, you damage the engine. So keeping your eye on the oil levels is important to make sure you have 
enough in the tank. And stress works in a similar way. Like oil, we need physical and cognitive resources to function. But unfortunately, those physical cognitive resources are finite. So when they're being drained by the pandemic, coronavirus, the British government, whatever tag you want to use, um, we need to ensure we put oil back into the car to avoid damaging the engine. Moreover, with greater levels of cognitive resources and physical resources, we're able to increase our performance levels and achieve a lot more. So how you react to stress matters and you can react in helpful and unhelpful ways. So what we like to do is show you how you can take back control in terms of sleep, because it does affect our cognitive resources and our physical resources also. So in this memoir, uh, webinar, we're going to have a look at how you can take back control, refuel with our three step sleep hack. So we're going to be exploring uh, the concept of a good night's sleep. And we believe there are three simple steps to a good night's sleep. And through this process, we're going to guide you on how to get a better understanding of those, in particular how the impact of lifestyle factors impact on our body clock and how they can regulate it or send it out of sync. How a helpful mindset and behavioural cues like sleep protocols can create the optimum conditions for a good night's sleep. I'm going to pass you over to Letitia now, who's going to tell you a little bit more about how sleep operates in the body. Thanks, John. So uh, during a typical night, we cycle through various stages of sleep. In stage one, it lasts just a few minutes. This is the first stage of sleep that is light and easy to wake from. Stage two, it's also very light. Our brain waves begin to slow and our body temperature and heart rate drops. Stage three and four, we move to, into a deeper sleep that is harder to wake from. So this is the time when our body grows and repairs itself and boosts immune, immune function. In the rapid eye movement or REM phase, that's the final stage of the sleep cycle and our brains become more active and here dreams begin. So this cycle repeats every 90 to 110 minutes and as sleep progresses, the REM cycles increases in length. So to get a good night's sleep, you need to complete at least four to five cycles. So during the COVID-19 lockdown, the hashtag can sleep has been trending with loads of people struggling to have a good night's sleep. A fundamental problem that uh, has arisen is an unexpected stressful changes to our routines, as Jonathan said, leading to anxiety and consequently to insomnia. Insomnia is a symptom, it's not a disease. It's the difficulty of falling asleep or staying asleep. So the American Academy of Sleep Medicine estimates that 30% of adults have insomnia and 10% have severe insomnia symptoms that affect their daytime, causing sleepiness. So there are several stimulating substances and lifestyle factors that can influence the quality and quantity of the sleep we obtain. Caffeine, smoking, drinking alcohol before sleeping, and playing with our phone or watching TV in bed, they all affect the sleeping. Caffeine, for instance, it takes nearly six hours of half of the caffeine for, from your favorite coffee, tea, or cola to exceed the body. Smoking has a stimulating effect. The use of alcohol helps with the phase one of sleeping, but impairs phase two and three. Staring at the light from your phone, computer, or TV in bed, throw off your brain's internal clock. So it's estimated that 70% of our adults and almost 
percent of millennials sleep with their phone within their reach. So, and this is really worrisome. So, all of these stimulating substances and lifestyle factors they inhibit our capacity to sleep. So, we recommend to engage on them early on during the day to get a, a good chance of a good night's sleep. We are what we eat. The type of carbohydrate affects the quick carbs, the ones that are high on the glycemic index, such as sugary drinks like Coca-Cola, white bread and rice, cause zigzagging of the blood sugar levels, leading to spikes in energy, and this affects sleep. So a big study published this year analyzed almost 80,000 women, women, and researchers found that consuming food with a lower on, on the glycemic index, such as vegetables, nuts, whole grain bread, and beans, was associated with a lower incidence of insomnia. So when you eat is also as important as what you eat. So to improve sleep, uh, we should avoid eating anything at least two hours before going to bed. So exercise may help us to, to sleep better, but exercise release endorphins and increase our core body temperature. So time is important. So if you exercise late at night, it can reduce the quality of your sleep. A study showed that exercising at night delays your deep sleep, the REM part of the cycle. So our suggestion is that to exercise at least one to two hours before going to bed. So when dealing with sleeping problems, we should rule out diseases. Two common conditions related to sleep problems include gastroesophageal reflux disease and obstructive sleep apnea. Both can rob your quality of sleep. So if you have heartburn, talk to your doctor about reflux treatments that can ease nighttime reflux. If you have symptoms associated with sleep apnea, like if you snore loudly or gasp, it's worth it also to, to consult your physician. We all work hard and work long hours, and that can make a massive impact in our capability to sleep. An interesting study analyzes doctors uh, and doctors um, and, and show that doctors, when they were giving alcohol, they had better reactions than those having long shifts and also the first to sleep better. So long hours without breaks has been shown to impact on sleeping. So now a word about sleep regulation. Cortisol is, is a hormone associated with stress. Melatonin is a hormone that regulates the sleep, sleep patterns. So you can see that they have different, absolutely different trends. So in the daytime, when exposed to light, melatonin levels are suppressed. So if you awake and alert. So when night comes, melatonin levels rise and commands the body to shut down. So we should create optimal conditions to keep lights down before going to bed. Stop computers, phone, and TV because the blue and green light from those devices can neutralize the melatonin effect. The use of filters is also recommended in those devices. So in summary, we should create a routine and, and be aware of stimulants and their timings. And of course, we should aim for a healthier lifestyle. So as Leticia has shown, being aware of physical and cognitive stimulus can help us overcome sleep and stress problems. 
And the recipe for a good night's sleep doesn't start when we go to bed. It begins when we wake up and is impacted by how we choose to live our lives. One way of taking back control is to become more aware of how we're spending our day so we can track the factors that enable and inhibit a good night's sleep. It's good practice to create a, a sleep diary. And here are some factors to consider along the way. Stimulants, both physical and cognitive. Health, exercise, mood. Also track when you go to bed, when you get up. Good news is we live in a world where there's full of technologies available to support us in this process. The teacher's been exploring the different types of technologies when it comes to sleep that are in the market. Yes. So there are several technologies on the market, as Jonathan commented. So sleep trackers can give us useful information about the quality of our sleep and then help us to take steps to improve it. So you can use your smartwatch during the day of exercise to count calories, to measure steps, measure your heart rate. And you can also use this during the night to monitor your sleep. However, so these technologies do not measure sleep directly. It can just give you information about sleep duration, some quality, the sleep phases, and other lifestyle factors. So there are nothing to wear options specifically to monitor sleeping. So you can put a device under your mattress and it can measure sleep cycles if you're in the deep or light or REM phases, your heart rate and also snore. It can give you also some hints about sleep apnea. And the results are usually available in, in apps and that you can share with your doctor or other health professional. So there are hundreds of, of apps in the market and you can revise them and choose the right one for you. So it's all about uh, user experience, personal preference and choice. So we'd like to set a challenge for you. The first uh, five people that provide us a personal review of five in sleeping trackers and email us at infodegap at gmail.com. We'll receive a 40 minutes free session with us. So as I was saying, the benefit of monitoring sleep progress is that it enables us to feel in control of our life. When we feel in control, we feel more confident to take steps to improve it. So it's all about adopting the right mindset. So as Letitia says, mindset matters. Think about it. Life is lived through experiences and those experiences shape our perception of the world. So consider this image of a church. It may conjure up different meanings and feelings based on your direct experiences. It might be a place of reverence, of calm, maybe even something else. So how we come to think about the places, people and situations we find ourselves in is important as our frames of reference create both physical and psychological associations in the mind. Mindset does matter. Consider your bedroom. Is it a place associated with a good night's sleep? Is it a restful space? Do you feel emotionally or physically calm in that space? Or has it become associated with something else? A place of worry, frustration, or even physical pain? And I think, particularly with the COVID-19 and being in lockdown for such long periods of time, uh, can lead us to a blurring of the function and purposes of the spaces in which we live, including the bedroom. Moreover, that can have an impact on our body clock as our routines go out of sync. And I think after listening to some of the conversations at the beginning of, 
at the webinar, webinar um, that is something that others have found. So unhelpful lifestyle patterns can easily develop um, and evolve, which in turn impact on our capacity to sleep. So it's important we find ways to break these associations. And night and day is a good example of this. We need to make a clear distinction between our daytime and nighttime under lockdown. So our bodies and minds know when it's time to be active and when it's time to wind down. So developing a go to sleep protocol can help you regulate your 24 hour body clock and calm the mind ready for a good night's sleep. Consider when you were younger, what you did before you went to bed. Maybe you brushed your teeth, got into your pajamas, had a bath. If you're lucky, someone may even have read you a bedtime story. These actions enabled your mind to understand it was time for sleep and therefore enabled a relaxed and conducive sleep to occur. And I think as adults, we tend to forget the importance of developing a go to bed protocol as life takes over. So to improve your chances of a good night's sleep, why don't you consider creating your very own go to bed protocol? Here's some things to consider. Point one, you don't need to go to bed exactly the same time every night, but it is good practice to ensure your sleep protocol is initiated over a two hour window to enable your body clock to best regulate itself. Two, create a series of activities you repeat in the same order every night over a period of about 30 minutes to two hours. Three, Engage in activities based on slowing things down rather than stimulating the mind. So if activities are associated with slimming the mind, stimulating the mind, they're probably not conducive to sleep. Four, consider activities that engage your senses in the here and now rather than engage in activities that require problem solving and focus on the future. Because problem solving and focusing on the future tends to stimulate our mind. So let's recap what we've uh, discovered so far in this webinar. Three conditions for a good night's sleep. Regulate your body clock. Consider it over the 24 hour period and regulate and monitor your activities and you can ensure a better night's sleep. Break any unhelpful associations you might have with the bedtime, the bedtime routine to enable a relaxed state and consider developing your own go to sleep protocol so your body and mind are associated that now is we believe in those three steps. Thank you, John and Letitia, so much. We've got loads of questions have already come in for you, and I've got a few uh, more of my own. So, yeah, thank you very much. So the first question is, would reading before bed be considered a negative stimulant? For the medical point of view, it's not. Considering it's not stimulating or stressing you out. So I think reading is much better than using devices like cell phone and computers and TV close to you. How long before bed should one stop using a phone or a computer or a device? Uh, it's like it's half an hour, more or less. Robert has commented that he loves his aura ring for monitoring. I'd be curious to hear more about how these work. But Matthew is uh, asking about sleep trackers if they're mainly based on the movement of your body throughout the night to measure your phase of sleep or are there any other ways to predict the sleep stage an individual might find themselves in yes the majority of these these apps the watches and also these these nothing to wear 
devices, they usually measure your movement and your heart rate. So like this, this estimates if you are awake or sleeping. So it's not a true measure of your sleeping. This is just estimation. And some, some of these apps, as I'm being really critic, uh, is they, they said that they, they measure the three phases, but the REM, they are not um, able to measure with accuracy. Okay, no thanks. And then would you consider any of them particularly good or useful? And, and are there any particular apps that you would recommend as being the best or, or sleep trackers? Uh, right now, no. We've been trying several, so we usually end up with, with, with the same information. And one thing that I want to, 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 to highlight is the stress that this can cause as well. Because when we start to measure and we get obsessed with getting, have, reviewing the data every day, so we get obsessed um, and, and we want to sleep better. And if you have, the other, have other results, negative results when you're sleeping. So we have to balance. So the recommendation is to use uh, the app that you choose. Usually, they, nothing to wear are, are better than the watches, but you we should have not get stressed with results and have uh, week see the weekly trends, not daily uh, popping uh, pop up message that comes to your phone. Matthew is asking if there's any options uh, opinions on afternoon napping. Yes, the, the power nap of 20 minutes, I think it's ideal. It's best proven to, to give you energy to, to continue the day. I think 20 minutes is ideal. What is the best way to manage good quality sleep when you're traveling frequently over multiple time zones? So specifically, what, what is the challenge that they are facing in regards to it? Just so I understand the context. Hello. Hi, Zisha. Hi there. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad, thank you. Not bad. Good. So, yeah, as Erica said, I travel very frequently, and I've actually just got back from um, Vancouver at the moment. Mm-hmm. And the biggest challenge that I have is that uh, when I travel east for more than maybe three time zones, <clears throat> and my time difference is eight hours, for example, getting back into a rhythm takes a significant amount of time, and consequently, I'm very tired throughout you know, that time that I'm sort of getting back into the London time zone. Um, hmm. I suppose my question is, is there a suggestion or a method that you have that allows people to manage the time difference better or perhaps get back into the new time zone in an easier, less stressful manner? Hmm. I, think, I think it's a fair, fair question to ask. What I think um, I would say is this. Uh, ultimately, we're talking about regulating the body clock and therefore the amount of time that you're up. Um, will make a difference. So for me, it's more of a physiological answer to that question rather than a psychological process of how best to to manage it because it's about um, regulation of body clock rather than a psychological association with something that's keeping you up, as it were. So if it's okay, I'd like to defer maybe to Letitia who might be able to shed a bit more light on that question than myself. Sure. Sure, yeah. Uh, So if you're traveling and you have jet lag and you're traveling to a place that you have a eight times difference uh, if you're staying a few days it's better to, to keep your your time the time of your home of your home so and if, if you're staying more than three four days or five days it's you, you should uh, start adapting to the new time as soon as possible so that's from my own experience and and 
I think it really works. So that, like this, it does not interfere with with your audit clock. Got it. Cool. Thank you. Uh, Zishan had another question about falling asleep and anything specific for mornings. Has that been answered to your satisfaction? That, that, this is actually a separate question, which is um, not related to the travel. This was just something that came into mind. Okay. We've spoken about, uh, sorry, the you know, experts have spoken about falling asleep. Is there anything that you can suggest for the morning side so to get the most value out of your night of sleep, uh, things that you sh perhaps shouldn't do or should do in the morning? Mm. I, 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 what I would say there is, and I, I used to run sleep workshops with the NHS, specifically with, with chronic pain, that, that is an, an issue. The key thing that people say is that it's the time you get up that matters more than the time you go to bed. So the important thing to manage body clocks is actually to make sure that you get up around the same time within a, a similar window. And that in itself should help um, impact and regulate your energy levels throughout the day. Thank you. And Matthew is asking, as our days grow longer as we enter a summer period, does this affect our ability to sleep for the same duration due to the increased exposure to blue light? I, yes, the blue light from, from the devices and, and, and the, the emanated from, 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 the, from the devices that we are working. So when it increase uh, so to get a good night's sleep we, we should we, we, it's better for us to, to 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 make sure that we have a dark place uh and not and when we have sun until 10 p.m it does not impair our capability to sleep so for that we, we should create other alternatives to to relax and to and and, and to be able to, to to start uh your protocol to going to sleep John, did you have anything to add to that? Not other than kind of thinking in terms of Letitia's previous slide where she said that melatonin decreases and suppressed when you are during the day. So I'm imagining, and I'll check in with Letitia here, do you think that if it is a darker room, that will stimulate melatonin, which is more conducive to sleep? Yes, I think it's ideal to have a darker room to help your body to, to, to for, the for the natural melatonin that we producing our body to to make uh, its effect mm -hmm. one question i would add to you um, a lot of american friends have said about taking melatonin i believe it's illegal here or not available here but is is widely available from any pharmacy in, in america and a lot of people take it as a natural aid to sleep have you any thoughts about that or yes i think it's uh, in some countries it's over-the-counter and some people try supplements uh, I would not recommend initially as a first way to, to improve sleeping but if, if you have if it's better to have to improve your behavioral and the lifestyle factors first but if you want to try for instance and if it's allowed in your country I uh, can take short uh, supplements for a short period of time and that can be helpful thank you one other question I had about maintaining energy levels throughout the day, if you've got any tips. And I guess my personal thought is when I've twice managed to give up caffeine, my energy levels shot through the roof. Cutting out carbs and giving up caffeine seems to do the trick. But is there anything that's potentially easier than giving up caffeine? <laughs> <laughs> or any other tips for maintaining energy levels? And I should add, I generally do a lot of exercise. So it's probably not lack of exercise on my part that's... I think the best uh, is to uh, 
to stop from time to time and to breathe and have some fresh air. And if you are ready to exercise, you are more than covered. But I think you have to stop. And, and there are people that work 24 hours a day, so this is not uh, healthy. <laughs> so during the day, if you can stop from time to time, and then you, if at, during the night you said, now I'm stopping, and now just tomorrow I'm not checking more emails, I'm not checking Twitter. Mm. And like this, you can disconnect. Sure. Yeah. I would add into that, Erica, as well, that in terms of thinking is a finite resource. So if you're spending a lot of time on something that's um, causing you uncertainty and worry, particularly if it's something that you can't resolve or solve, that is going to deplete your energy levels as well. So I would also make times for, shall we say, dealing with challenges and issues and containing the amount of time that you're doing with them on the knowledge that that drains your battery as much as physical exercise. Mm -hmm would stimulate it okay no, perfect Matthew is asking that he often feels groggy if he wakes up in a dark room which would be down to higher levels of melatonin compared to if he wakes up in a bright room is that is that the case maybe he's groggy because he's he's feeling refreshed and and rested or groggy no so that means the opposite so when you wake okay. up Sort of uh, fog and feeling tired and not feeling clear and not feeling awake okay there are two awake, points here you have no yes therapy. okay if maybe uh, you have to analyze there are several confounding factors if you, you cannot wake up groggy because you're you haven't rested and you feel really tired okay so maybe it's not about melatonin Okay, so it's just not, not, not having enough sleep. And Robert is, is saying that if melatonin decreases as you age, why not supplement? Uh, that's a good point, but I would not recommend to take uh, melatonin in a daily basis for, as a chronic medication. Mm-hmm. Okay. Zishan is asking if one can catch up on sleep at the weekend. So what he's meaning is can, can one go and work long hours and not sleep enough during the week and then just catch up on the weekend? You want to take this, John? Oh, I take a play. It sounds like it's more physiological. Yes. Okay. So I, ideally, it's better to to keep your body body internal clock, and ideally to wake up every day in the same time and go to sleep in more or less in the same time. So of course, if we work a lot during the week and sleep like five, four, five, six hours, and and, and try to compensate this this during the weekend. Uh, it's okay, but ideally should be the same the whole week. Okay, thank you. One other question I have. You said about having your phone near you, and ideally you want to stop using devices about half an hour before you go to sleep, but you mentioned earlier when we were chatting about having your phone near you when you go to sleep. What's the problem with that if it's sort of turned face down and, I don't know, foot away and you're not actively using it? Uh, yes, the, 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 as far as I'm concerned, it has not proved that there are physiological problems causing disease, the, the waves of the telephone. But having a telephone nearby, you get tempted to get connected. Mm-hmm. So you do not, does not disconnect and do, you do not rest. It can cause stress and you get stay alert and you don't sleep well. Mm. I would add that certainly in my world, people constantly check their phones, particularly if they're worried about a particular issue or they want to keep up with news about a particular social group. And it means that your mind is constantly engaged and stimulated. So to remove the temptation of that stimulation means that you are more likely to get a better night's sleep. 
Okay. Thank you. Research often states that in sleep, our cerebrospinal fluid washes away toxic protein. And are these proteins generally just metabolic byproducts, or are there specific instances in which you might find high levels of metabolic byproduct? And what adverse effects tend to arise as a result of the buildup of these proteins? Yeah, I'm just curious. Obviously, in research, the cerebrospinal fluid takes away the toxic proteins that build up in your brain throughout the day. I was curious if there are certain instances where you might have increased levels of metabolic byproducts, and also what kind of adverse effects would kind of would you experience as a result if you didn't sleep, let's say? And that's a good point, Matthew. I, I've I've loved this, this the, the the circulation of the cerebrospinal fluid and washing out uh, the proteins. So the cerebrospinal fluid, you know, cerebrospinal fluid uh, washes out proteins. But I'm not aware uh, of the metabolic byproducts on these. But uh, I want to throw back the question to you. So which particularly metabolic are these? Are you are you referring to? That's just because I I'm a student in clinical psychology and I've come across the term metabolic byproducts mm-hmm. quite a lot, but there's never really been any uh, explanation as to what that means. So I was just curious if maybe one of you guys might know. No, I think it's it's uh, it's it's out of my reach uh, the, mm-hmm. the metabolic byproducts. But I'll, I'll check again the literature and see if we have news about this in 2020. Okay. okay. Um, Robert is asking about the night shift feature on phones, which reduces blue light. Is that recommended for evening use of phones? Yes, that's one of of, of the devices, uh, the suggestions I made. The night shift, or there are uh, free apps as well that they can introduce the red line, the red light, and you can put that uh, on your phones or iPad or, or computers, and that helps. Okay, all right, thank you. Zishan is asking uh, what steps there are to help address insomnia. So I think that's the, the last uh, slide of Jonathan commented. <laughs> okay, so insomnia, uh, as I said, is a symptom. It's a symptom. So we, we first you have to establish the cause, what's causing insomnia, and what you can do about it. So you have to, to assess. So what we do uh, is basically we do a medical assessment and also a psychological assessment. We, we check if there is any physical problem that is, the person has. We do a checkup um, analysis. And also we check psychological issues like uh, stress over the day, what's family problems, uh, work problems, and all factors that can be assessed. So it's, it's, uh, we do a kind of comprehensive analysis because it's not so simple. Mm. I, I, I would add to that as well from Letitia's remarks in, in the sense that often when people are operating under anxiety or worry, the bedtime becomes a space, the function of the bedroom becomes something that's not associated with sleep, but associated with working out problems, taking work home with them, general worries, particularly if, if there's, there's a pain underlying it as well. And there is a psychological component to this as well. And I think that's why Letitia rightly said, you know, medical assessments cross over both psychological and physiological factors to work out and tease out exactly what's going on there. Is, is that, would that be one reason that there have been so many people struggling with sleep during 
lockdown because normally one goes to the office and one is out during the day and mm. uh, um, you know out working out with friends out socially exercising whatever and then typically you probably would be only going to your bedroom for bed yes. whereas yes. now um I, I know an awful lot of people because they share houses flats with partners or friends or whatever a lot of people are working all day in their bedrooms and then of course going to their bedrooms to sleep so you, you've lost that um separation yeah. is that a large part of the problem yes it's the blurring of the function of our spaces that we work in absolutely mm -hmm. so if you are associating your bedroom becomes a place of work then everything associated with it follows so it's important to make a boundary or distinction so one of the things for example if someone's working in a smaller confined area like a one-bedroom flat mm. and they're working and this is a challenge I've, I've met with one of my clients is to actually move things around so that you can make a distinction between the daytime when you're working and when you then relax in the evening other kind of little transitional psychological triggers that you can use for example is that if you're working for example, you get dressed up in work clothes or something that you associate with working, like a polo shirt, whatever it might be. But then when you finish work, you get changed. And what that does is it creates a transition from the mind from a place of working to now a place of rest. So there's certain things you can do to shift the space um, and make transitions to ensure that you have clear boundaries between your working day and your free time, because it's that blurring that causes the issue. Okay, no, thank you. And Zishan is um, saying that exercise helps him with stress. Is there any time that he shouldn't be working out that would stop him from sleeping? I.e., are there any best times of the day? Should one keep one's exercise just to the morning or should one be exercising before bed? No, exercise can be done all over the day. The best time is the best time for the person. Each person has their own the body of each person uh, works in a different way. So which some people like to do exercise in the morning, it's good for them. Some people like to do exercise in the afternoon, it's good for them. But what I do not recommend is to have exercise late in the evening. Just before that, because bed. Just before bed. Otherwise, it's, it depends on the person. It's, it's okay and it's most important. It's good to exercise. Why, why is that? Because in my experience, exercise is the best thing to just stay your mind and maybe tire you out sufficiently. Yes, it creates good conditions. It, it improves your, your, your body energy and, and function and, and, and relaxed body and mind. So it's excellent. And, and we recommend more uh, aerobic exercise, at least half an hour a day. Although if a person likes, wants to do yoga or some other uh, type of exercise, uh, it's, it's okay as well. And one last question, unless anybody else has any other questions they'd like to add. You mentioned earlier activities that were good or conducive to sleep that are good to be done before going to bed. You mentioned reading and decay and light exercise such as yoga. Are there any specific exercises that you would recommend? Hmm. Should or I go first? Or? Letitia, or do you want to go first? Well, okay, I'll go first because I started. <laughs> um, so, so for me, from a kind of personal thing, I think it's the type of ex places where our mind can rest. So by that, I mean, your mind doesn't stop working, but if it can be present with the activity in itself, that creates a conducive to presence, mindfulness. And when we're present, we don't think about the future or the past. And when we're thinking about the future or the past, that's when our mind goes into that stress problem-solving mindset. 
and it's dealing with uncertainty. So if you can engage in activities in the here and now, which engage the senses, you give your uh, mind a, a position to rest and calm down. And that can vary across a variety of different activities. I have one lawyer that I work with that baking does the job for him. For me personally, music, I find that that is something that works well for me. I think it is a case of trial and error. So if reading works, go for it. If music works, go for it. But the key thing is that it's focused on the here and now and present. So your brain has a mind to rest, if not switch off, and in doing so, unwind. Well, thank you. And Matthew is asking if your sleep position affects your quality of sleep. Generally, no, except if the person has a disease, like the diseases I commented, like this, a supine position, like flat like this would be a problem. Okay, yeah, perfect. You've kind of inspired me that maybe I, I've given up caffeine twice in the last 12 months and it was really hard both times. And I, I was so good until lockdown started. And I think about two days into being at my parents. Uh, <laughs> can, can I just throw one thing in that's made a massive difference for me? I kind of treat caffeine and sugar now like a cutoff point. So I, I don't drink after midday. Right. And I think that makes a huge difference. That and sugar has made a huge difference to my sleep patterns as well as the electronics that I switch off. So I don't think you have to go without Erica. I just think it's okay. the time, like a last orders, as it were, for your caffeine. So I get it all in the morning. And you'll be okay. absolutely fine. So don't no, give it up. No, you don't need okay. to. What, what effect does sugar have? Is on, I mean, I know that it's not meant to be healthy and I should probably... Um, I'm the same <laughs> issue as you because I, I, I have a very sweet tooth. It spikes your energy levels. So that's what disrupts your pattern of sleep, you know, when, when you're going through the various cycles. So again, I treat it like caffeine. And since I've had like a cutoff point, say from two onwards, I don't touch sugar. Again, that's made a massive difference, particularly getting up in the evening, by the way. I find that when, when you reduce sugar intake during like the later part of the days and you have that cut off, you, you sleep through more because you tend to get up to do, like go to the toilet and do weeds because of the sugar. Okay. Okay, so cut up chocolate, sugar, fine. Um, no, no, no. Um, up until two o'clock is fine. <laughs> okay. No, interesting. Thank you. Good, good to know. And does that count also for junk carbs, like bad quality carbs, because they just break down into sugar, don't they? Exactly. So the, the high index carb that, that I, I said in the, in, the, in the slides, so that's the same of having sugar and chocolate. The same yeah. effect. Well, no, that's, that's amazing. I thank you both so much. I know you are working together now to offer help for stress but yeah i mean we can provide that service we'll be more than happy to talk through and see if we can help no perfect thank you very much and uh, i will add i personally use john as a life coach for <laughs> various things over the years and can say he's absolutely excellent so can highly personally recommend thank you so much <laughs>